ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Kevin Osborne of Osborne Outdoors. We get into valuing family time outdoors, 2% for conservation, and talk about his journey in the woods. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Kevin Osborne. Kevin, thank you for taking time out of your day, man, and sitting down with me for a bit here. Welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is going to be a fun conversation, I think. It will be. It will be. So we'll just jump right in, man. Why don't you give us an intro and some background? Let uh, let everybody know about yourself. Yep. My name is uh, Kevin Osborne, born and raised Oklahoman my entire life. Um, father of three and uh, been married for almost 20 years now. But uh, I think most people that have followed us on social media or anything now, I'm somewhat new to uh, – hunting the hunting world like the uh, the adage the adult onset hunter Yeesh. Um, <laughs> i know not everybody loves that one the stigma <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey i i fully embrace it like i, I never want to lose sight of that i haven't been doing this forever because i feel like you know a lot of us talk about our three efforts with recruitment retention and reactivation and um I never want to forget where I started or where I came from. Um, not that I've like made it or anything, but I feel like if I forget that it took someone originally asking me, do you want to go? And it wasn't until I was like 35 that somebody finally said that and then backed it up that, um, that I need to remember that. So that way I never forget to ask people, you know, like, Hey, do you want to go? And then actually like back it up and take them out. You know what? You immediately, I mean, in a minute and 40, bring up a good point, right? So you say, you talk about the R3 and adult onset, right? Which that, I, I don't know. It just, I always say it. It sounds like there's, you know, 
uh, a stigma to that, right? Which, you know, you start when you start, I guess. Uh, maybe yep. I'm biased because I started later too. So, but the fact that you're involved in that R3 effort early on and the importance of it, I wonder if there's a, a percentage of the demographic that has that, you know, heritage or tradition of hunting um, that doesn't put that effort in or doesn't realize how important that is. I think that could be the case. I mean, I don't think we can speak for everybody, but if, if that's all you've known or that's what you've grown up with, you may just think that like everybody knows how to do that or they may already know. Or like um, I think about trying to figure out how to first start on private land and then trying to figure out how to hunt on public land in a state that I think Oklahoma has around like three, maybe 5%, but I think it's closer to 3%. So it's not a lot but trying to figure that out. And if you're somebody that's grown up doing that or knew where to go, where public land was, those kind of things, like you may not think to ask anybody, you know, or somebody may not know. There's a whole, like, I know in Oklahoma, at least there's a little bit of a stigma of like, Oh, it's a wild west out there on public land. Like you don't want to go out there. That's crazy. Or there's no animals out there, those kind of things. And you know, it takes somebody asking you for the first time, Hey, do you want to go? I've done this before out there. I can teach you some stuff. And then you say, yes. Yeah, I don't think it's just in Oklahoma, right? Because here, here out west, every you know, you hear everybody say it, the pumpkin patch or the orange army. Um, I, I don't think that that maybe some areas have have larger expanses of of public, um, and you're not bumping into as many folks. But I don't think we anywhere gets around it. Yeah, no, but I think too um, with that is inviting new people. Like sometimes we try to. I think we, it needs to be the biggest thing you know if you're into elk hunting it's got to be you take them elk hunting or if you're in a state like oklahoma where whitetails about the biggest thing like oh well you got to talk them on a, a whitetail hunt and maybe they won't love it if they're not successful the first time but you know a lot of those um there's a lot of things that have a lot lower cost or investment to entry like you know small game hunting squirrel hunting dove hunting those are great ones to take somebody especially kids out for the first time where they can actually, you know, see some wildlife, probably be successful. I think with small game hunting, man, I, I enjoy it. I'm not the greatest wing shooter. Um, you know, if we're talking dove and quail, but for me, it's a bit more relaxed. I don't feel as much self-imposed pressure to get the job done. Um, I could kind of let my hair down, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I think the same way. I mean, I'm no, like you said, wing shooter. I haven't even, duck hunting, anything other than uh, quail is all going to be new to me. So, haven't got into that yet. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm, at this point, I'm not a fan. I got 20 years in and I'm not a fan of duck hunting. I think I've gone out <laughs> twice and I think we saw one one duck one day. He was f so fast and so high that, uh, yeah, that those three shells went spent pretty quick. Yeah, I'm not going to have much of a choice. I've got a daughter that wants to give it a try. She wants to do it. Um, we do this thing in our house where every, well, I can't say, we haven't done it forever, probably about the last five or six years. We're around the start of the year. I ask them every year, you know, like, what do you want to do with dad this year? Um, and then we just try to make that happen, whatever it is. And most of the time, my kids pick outdoor activities. So, like, one of the things she wants to do this year is go duck hunting. 
And she knows I've never done it before either, but I got to make it happen now. We got to at least give it a try. What, uh, how old are your kids? So I've got a 14 year old. That'll be 15 next month. And I've got a 12 year old that, that my oldest is a girl. And then I have two boys. One is 12. Another one is nine. Yeah. So, so far she wanted to duck hunt and she, she wanted to go for, she's kind of vague, like a larger fish species in Oklahoma. She was like, she, she had heard about spoon in her outdoor ed class. She talked about that or like go after, um, you know, like some bigger catfish. And then we went snagging for spoonbill about two weeks ago. I so we were to check that one <laughs> I saw that off the monster. list. Yeah. It was, it was a first time for us too. Like neither one of us had ever done that before. And she got a 20 pounder and mine was 36. Yeah. That was a, that was a big spoonbill, man. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And that one, you know, we had already talked about R3 a little bit. Like that was an invite. That was another guy that's on the board for the Oklahoma chapter of BHA that I'm also on as well. And, uh, it was me commenting on one of his photos. Like, Hey man, that's awesome. That looks like fun. He messaged me right back. You ever done that before? And I said, no, he's like, well, come on down tomorrow. Don't, we got all the gear. Let's go. And so it's the, the power of an invite, I guess you could say. So, but you guys, you haven't really been in the outdoors terribly long, huh? As far as hunting. No, as far as hunting. No. I mean, like as kids, we did a lot of outdoor stuff as far as like the, the hiking and camping and fishing. And, um, I grew up, every summer doing something in a pop-up trailer. Like we drove that thing all over the place. Um, so we spent a lot of time outside and then had a, had some land I could run around on as a kid near our house. We didn't own it, but I had access to it. Uh, but hunting, no, like it wasn't, well, this will be my fifth season to do any type of hunting. Yeah. And that was, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, go for it. (laughs) Um, and that one was tied to an invite. I mean, it was it, almost every year it seemed like, especially in like my adult life, like as a teenager, I didn't have a lot of friends that did that stuff. But um, somebody would be like, you've never been hunting. And I was like, no, I've never been hunting. I'm like, well, you're going to go. I'm going to take you. And I'd say, okay. And it was that, you know, if not every year, every other year, year after year after year until I finally had a buddy named Brent and he asked me and I was like, yeah, just tell me what I need to do all this. And, I still remember going home and telling my wife, I'm like, well, there's this year's invite to go hunting. We'll see what happens. And it wasn't till we were really talking like the night before and making sure I had some of the gear I needed and that kind of stuff for this whitetail rifle hunt that I was like, this is really going to happen. Like this is for real, but yeah. It's hard to kind of get those, those uh, things to align right, man, on, on invites, right. You're working on someone's calendar and, trying to figure everything out and get dialed in and dealing with family life and work and trying to squeeze it in there. So that could be uh yeah, it could be difficult. Yeah. And I think too, like it's easy, especially with whitetails or, you know, if you're any of the big game species, I think it's easy to get your own goals can get in the way of bringing other people along. I know my, my wife is awesome about reminding me sometimes like it's easy to get your own, like, you know, goals for that season in your head and might just be grinding it out. Like I'm, I'm going to get this figured out. I'm going to, I'm chasing this buck or I'm, you know, chasing this elk, whatever it is. And 
and you forget like, Hey, it's been like a month and a half into the season. Have you asked your kids if you want to go with you or not yet? Um, so I know the feeling. Yeah. It's hard not to get caught up in that though. Right. I mean, you're, you're chasing something and you're passionate about it and yeah, trying not to lose sight of passing that down, especially starting later in life. Right. Yeah. You got a lot of ground to make up. Yeah. Hey, that's the beauty of these podcasts though with, with podcasts and then the stuff on video now and in print, like, I mean, I don't know how many hours of outdoor related podcasts I've consumed in the last probably three to four years. Um, just trying to compress time frames and try to learn as much as I can. Cause I mean, I don't have, you know, 20 years of experience or anything, but you know, sure. maybe I can, yeah, shorten it, learn more stuff and, and figure it out. I just, uh, talked to actually just released the episode yesterday. Uh, Mike Burnside, he's an Oklahoma guy. He's a lifelong, lifelong hunter. Um, he was telling us, you know, when he was, you know, seven, eight years old uh, there in Oklahoma, riding riding his bicycle with a 22 strapped to it or a 410 and a fishing pole strapped to it was just everyday life. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, uh, I couldn't imagine seeing a seven, eight year old kid riding down the street, man with uh with a 410 or 22 strapped to his handlebars nowadays that'd, no. be a, that'd be a sight to see oh yeah i mean i did my share running around with a bb gun but that was a uh, that was about it i think we shot more trees and aluminum cans than anything yeah he said squirrel everything squirrel uh he even talked about uh i mean this is this is uh your stereotypical you know, Oklahoma roadkill possum story is how it kind of came across to me, man. The Okie from Muskogee type thing. Yeah. But it was pretty cool to hear that, man. Just a different time. Yeah. So we kind of yeah. glassed over it, man. Why don't you, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background on the hunting and the outdoor life and how you got, uh, how you got really got going in it and the family involvement, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so like we'd already said, like I started as far as hunting pretty, pretty late last five years. Um, as far as like fishing, camping, hiking, all that stuff, pretty much, um, my whole life, like I love to fit. I love fishing. Um, but yeah, I had that one invite that got started, did a first, um, deer season, um, was unsuccessful, uh, admittedly overanalyzed and underprepared. Uh, overanalyzed in the moment and under underprepared on the front end. Like didn't know at all what I was doing going in. Um, had a, I mean, especially for a first time, first timer, a shooter buck come out like the first morning of the first hunt within like daybreak, but just didn't even know, you know, like you see all these pictures online and these giant deer and all this. Like, oh, I, I, it's not like the ones on TV. I, I can't shoot that one. Like am I supposed to shoot this one? I'm, texting my buddy back and forth and he's like, you're fine. You're fine. Just go. It's your gear. And then ended up just watching it walk away. Um, hunted a few more times that, that first season. And then, uh, the next season and that was rifle. I hadn't got into archery at all. And then like season two, um, hunted our muzzleloader season here in Oklahoma and rifle, uh, season ended up, I uh, got my first buck in muzzleloader and then my first, uh, doe in rifle. Um, the buck was pretty special. My buddy, 
uh, that I mentioned, Brent, that invited me out. Like, uh, he sat with me, um, through multiple hunts during that muzzleloader season with his video camera. And he's like, I'm going to sit here with you until you get your first buck and I'm going to videotape it. And so he didn't, he wasn't hunting at all. You know, he, he supplied the rifle. We were staying at his parents' house. Like he took care of everything. Um, and so we had a, we had a pretty cool evening where we were able to, uh, both, uh, get a buck, um, the same evening. Uh, but what it made for, we, he was processing, he was teaching me how to process deer too. So that made for a really, uh, long night. It was a Sunday evening and, um, there towards last light, both of us got, um, our bucks and then processing them and then driving the three hours or two and a half, whatever it is back home made for a pretty rough evening, but it, it made for some really good stories. So, but, uh, yeah, then, and, you know, eventually just started trending more towards, uh, the, the public land side of hunting as it didn't have a lot of private land access, um, made some other buddies that were kind enough to take me under their wing. Uh, a buddy of mine named Garrett had hunted public lands and stuff before, and we were pretty wired the same way. So he kind of took me under his wing, started teaching that and we're both real strategy focused. Um, so all the scenarios and everything, like we kind of feed off each other with that and watching all the, the hunting beast videos and trying to figure out that style of hunting and you know, like the hunting public guys taking what they show and learning that. And, um, and that's been pretty much like the last three years trying to figure out the, the public land side of that. And then, you know, taking the kids out as well. Um, everything from squirrel hunting to, to deer hunting. We've had some really fun deer hunts, had our first turkey season this year. That was what my son wanted to do with dad this year was go turkey hunting. So we did that. We were not successful, but we still had fun. Had a lot of good times out there. And I know with him, a lot of times it's just being able to hang out with dad, regardless if we come home with anything. For me, it's pretty similar, you know, like, yeah, that is the goal, but us spending time together is pretty important too. Well, I mean, that whole, that, that we can get into that, you know, when you say we weren't successful, right? I mean, you know, how do you, how do you measure that um, when you're spending that time and value in that time, you know, especially with your kids outdoors, right? I mean, if you learned something or took away something from the experience, my opinion of that is that's, that's successful, right? Whether or not you have a notch tag, I mean, the animal at the end of it is just, you know, icing on the cake. Yup. I don't remember where I heard it or who said it and I may misquote it a little bit, but it was something like if you go hunting the hunt, you'll always find it or something like that. But the sense of like, if you just go looking for a hunt, if you're going just to hunt, like that's a win, like you're going to have a win regardless of if you're, you know, punching a tag or something like that. And I guess, I don't know. I, I guess that is, pretty much the individual's take on it but for me man it's uh i don't know it's well beyond for me it's it's more beating myself right talking myself up a ridge or talking myself down you know into a drainage that's where i find more success than than anything at this point those notch yeah. tags are just pluses yeah, they're just the, the the bonus. Yeah, the bonus at the end. So you did bring something up though. So you said you were overinformed and underprepared, but then you also talked about soaking up, you know, all the podcast and information. And so, <clears throat> for me, 
you know, when I started, there wasn't, there was a few videos, there was, you know, some shows online or on TV, um, but I didn't have, I didn't have the downloadable information. Um, and it's just my opinion, right? And and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having all this information. It's, it's great, right? It kind of helps us, you know, shorten that learning curve, um, gets us to success just a little bit faster. But do you feel like there is a, that it's a crutch to a point? Because to me, it's, you can download as much as you want, but it's about boots on the ground or time in the woods um, is really what's going to teach you. And it almost seems like there's a point where there's so much focus on the downloadable information that you're not learning those lessons in the field. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's a hundred percent true. Like, yeah, you can, you can, like you're saying downloadable information, like you can gain that, but that is not the same as the, the boots on the ground experience. I mean, it's useful. Like those are things that you can, you know, and you've learned and you can have, but you've got to have the infield experience too. I mean, I think that's probably the, I mean, that's probably the biggest learning curve of it. I mean, we can watch all the videos and read everything, but it's not the same as being in the field. And to me, I mean, like being a newer guy, that's still the, in the field can still be the, the struggle of, you know, trying to figure out where you want to set up or how you want to, you know, trying to figure out how the animals are using this piece of property or how other hunters are using the piece of property, things like that. And that only comes with experience. I mean, I think you can get some stuff watching and listening, but there's a big chunk of it that you just got to get boots on the ground. And then, you know, we haven't really talked about mentoring much, but I think that's where it's important to you because, you know, like a guy that's newer, like myself, like I can listen to a lot of stuff. I can watch a lot of videos, but then to go out in the field and apply it is a whole nother level. But if I've got somebody next to me that's already done that and already has the experience, that just helps me that, that much more. And they, that person may be the difference in me coming back or not. If you think about it, like if I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, ah, I can't even think I can do this. I can't be successful. Or maybe you try it for a whole season. You're not successful. And you're like, maybe this just isn't for me. But if you've got somebody there helping you along the way, they don't have to be there on every hunt. But if they're on a couple or they take you out scouting to learn some stuff and then you can, you know, call them or text them after a hunt. This is what happened or this is what I did and get that feedback that from a mentor. I think that's I mean, we know mentors are huge in everywhere in life, but I think they're huge with outdoor stuff, too. Because, I mean, really, <laughs> what, what are the if you look at, you know, high success rates um, on public land, you're talking, you know, 10 percent. Um, 9%, 7% in some, you know, what's considered decent areas in public land on public land. I mean, you're, it's stacked against you for sure. So yeah, definitely having somebody that can, uh, help (laughs) put that butt kicking into perspective for you. (laughs) is a big deal. Yeah. You know, what it's just, I don't know. Like I love the debrief afterwards. Like, that's my buddy Garrett that I said, I do quite a bit of my public land hunting with. Like, that's the thing we both do. Like after either one of us goes out, most of the time it's before the hunt and after the hunt, whether we're together or not, we're saying like, Hey, this is where I'm going. Cause we scout together most of the time, but we haven't really, we don't hunt at the same time, same place very much. Like this is where I'm going. This is what I'm thinking. And we'll kind of bounce ideas back and forth. And then afterwards, you know, it's kind of the breakdown. This is what happened. This is what we did. Kind of, I mean, I mean, it's, 
I'm going to say it's like sports, but it's kind of like sports and like, Hey, here's the game plan. And then afterwards, here's what happened. Good or bad. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you journal anything? I don't. Um, I, I know. I'll, I mean, you hear about a lot of guys talk about it on podcasts and different things. Um, I haven't, I haven't started that. My buddy that I was just telling you about, he does, he has a spreadsheet for like big buck sightings, deer movement, all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm admittedly not as structured as that. Uh, but I, I think I would like to, if, if for nothing else to just be able to look back at things or be able to like, you know, give it to my son or my daughter and let them see it. And maybe they see it way on down the road, but I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. It's, it's something that I just started doing last year and man, I found it so valuable. Like I can't, I tried to do the spreadsheet. That's how I started this year off, right. Or coming into this year was a spreadsheet. And uh, yeah, I threw that out the window after the third sitting because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through my journal and I just keep a small po- pocket journal and I'll just write little tidbits of stuff down, right. Either, you know, while I'm sitting glass in or, you know, um, on the way back to camp or, you know, if I'm making a drive or sitting at camp and then looking back on that, I was able to pull stuff out of it for this year going, oh, this didn't work. This didn't work. You know, this was great. This was great. And then I was able to see patterns um, when I was seeing deer, you know, time of day with the temperature and things like that. So yeah. hopefully that uh, hopefully it, you know, turns out to be valuable this year. But there was definitely some stuff that I was able to pull out of that that helped out. But I mean, you figure this is my 20th season I'm going into. It took me 19 years to figure that one out. So. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I think not I may very, have to steal that. Yeah, I'm not very notepad analytical idea though. When it comes to hunting, for me, it's just you know they, when you they have that that AVK right, audio, visual, kinetic. Like everybody learns differently, and me, I'm just a doer, man. When it comes, especially when it comes to hunting, like I can, I'll take it all in, right? I'll and I I started. I think this is the first year I actually started actually reading a book, um, James Nash, when I interviewed him, he, he suggested a book for me and I actually read the book a couple times. And this is the first time that I really dove into something like that without actually doing it. Um, it was pretty interesting. It was a little bit different from, for me, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip, man. But for me, I'm just a doer. I, I can watch everything. And then like, you know, I got, uh, Michael Batiste with the L calling Academy. I watch his stuff. Um, and get on his Q and A's and things like that. And it's just, you know, it's like upload, 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 but how can I take that to the field and, you know, and, uh, use it practically is the, is the part that I'm interested to see. So a bunch of new stuff, man. It's yeah. fun. It's fun with all the information, but like I said, I think there's a point where I'm not going to say t- it, there's too much, but we have to be able to translate it. Right. And, and the only way to do that, like I said, my opinion is boots on the ground, man. Yo, I mean, like you're talking about, like, I mean, like you're saying you're a doer, but we all at some point have to be a doer with it. I mean, we can learn and learn and learn, but knowledge without action isn't very powerful. Not at all. Uh, Not at all. (laughs) So we got to get out there and, and and do it like you're saying i think that that simple journal is a a great idea i'm gonna i'm saying right now i'm gonna steal it so hopefully i can stick with that but i think i could do something like that and also gives you something to do for a a tree stand hunter in the tree other than just 
playing on your phone. Yeah. Look at the temperature every couple of hours, yeah. check the wind, you know? Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure many a deer get, uh, get saved every year by guys on their phones. <laughs> so I hear, <laughs> man, I haven't, uh, haven't had the privilege of, uh, too much tree stand hunting, but yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, secondary stuff that goes on. I see guys with, uh, posting pictures of giant books <laughs> yeah. playing candy crush and all kind of stuff, man. Fruit ninja. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that you know. that takes a special, uh, in my opinion, takes a special guy to be able to sit up in a, in a stand for hours. What, what kind of time are you able to spend up there? I'm not, a, I haven't done any all day sets. I mean, I'm normally, I'm doing a morning or an evening and then it's probably, I mean, probably somewhere in like four hours oh, that's around there. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I haven't like that. written it down, but I mean the worst, I don't know. I almost said the worst ones are in the early season, but the late season may be worse. I'm trying to, it's like you're, you're j- judging cold feet versus mosquitoes. So it's like, which one do you want to, and poison ivy. So it's like, which one do you want to battle? I'll take yeah. cold feet all day, man. <laughs> sitting there getting tortured for by mosquitoes for hours i mean it's rough enough right for the way that we hunt here or i hunt here um in an area where there's a lot of mosquitoes i mean even just you know sitting in glass and are beating you know beating feet uh those mosquitoes man they're just i yeah i can't do them too much yeah I, this was the first year i'd used um a thermocell and as far as for a tree stand guy i mean i've never used one on the move but that and permethrin, I was a believer this last year in those two products. Yeah, the permethrin, not, the permethrin though, that's some, that's some fairly nasty stuff, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is true. I only put it on external clothing, right? Wings. Yeah. Whenever, um, whenever somebody brings that up, I'm like, oh man, that's clothes only there. Yeah, but it's amazing how many you'll see people spray it right on their skin though. Uh, yeah, like it says insane. all over, clothes only. Yeah, no, I'm good on but, that one. Like the thermocell, so I carry mine, and I'll use it when I'm glassing um, or sitting down for lunch. But, yeah, when you're on the move, um, it doesn't do you much good. Even if I'm sitting, like, on a ridge or something glassing, um, you know, with the thermals coming up or over, you know, the other side, hitting your back, hitting your face or whatever, it just it doesn't seem to work well. A lot of times, though, on those windier days, you don't, you don't have the mosquitoes as bad. Yeah, they don't, they don't fly very well. Um, so – when you got in um, to the hunting, man, did the kids jump right in with you? You pull them into it right away, or is that something that took a minute? It took a little bit. Um, I don't think they went with me till my – it would have been my third season. So my first my first two were at the same – with the same guy, the same piece of land um, the first two seasons. And then after that, kind of started hunting some different places and – um, one of the first times, um, it was pretty neat how it all worked out. So we had done the thing where I asked my kids, you know, what do you want to do with that this year? And they all said, go deer hunting. So I'm like, man, I don't have access to any private land. Um, public land. I'm trying to think, how am I going to take, I think my son was like six, my youngest was six at that time. And you know, you're trying to think at least me being a newer hunter and a dad, I'm like, what? Well, we've got to be successful. They've got to see animals. I'm still trying to figure out what in the world I'm doing. I want them to have fun. So I'm like putting all this pressure on myself. And then 
out of all places, I was literally at a funeral and a guy I knew was sitting in front of me and turned around and we just started small talking and, and, uh, and he was, and he was pretty new to hunting too. And we were kind of talking about that and I was like, yeah, and, you know, and I told him about asking my kids and I was like, they all want to go deer hunting. I'm trying to figure that out. And he looks at me and goes, then you're coming to my parents' place. And I was like, what? He's like, you're coming to my parents' place. I'm like, okay. And so that eventually led to us being able to go. And we did, I don't remember if it was three or four days, um, at this guy's family's, um, property. So I think it was, I think it was about a thousand acres in total broken up into two 500 acre pieces. Um, and they just, we ended up, we stayed in a, uh, like a kind of like a restored caboose, like a train caboose is what we, we can't, we like slept and stayed in that. And then we cooked everything out on a fire and they brought us their, uh, like Ranger ATV. And they said, you got, you know, run of the place, use that as much as you want. They had like, we had a big giant, like 30 foot tire blind. We hunted out of that, hunted in different spots. Um, we weren't successful. We did not see very many deer, but it was a great trip. Like my kids still talk about it. We took some just beautiful pictures out there. My oldest son, um, it had been slow and there was a, so they had a corn feeder. It's, it's legal on uh, private land in Oklahoma. So this place had a corn feeder out there and we'd seen these just giant fox squirrels. And, um, we had brought, uh, it was, it was rifle season, but we had brought a, uh, a rimfire rifle with us as well, you know, just thinking like small game or whatever. Um, but didn't, I didn't really didn't have a lot of plans for that. And, uh, we're sitting there and I was like, buddy, you want to try to shoot one of those squirrels? And he was like, yeah. So we climbed down from the tower blind and then kind of sneak around past some cedar trees and get set up and I set out the shooting sticks. And so he gets set up and I have it all on video. And, and, uh, I think, I think it was three shots and he got two squirrels and it, that was, that made the whole trip. He was so excited. You can hear his voice. He's like, yes, yes. his little voice is all shaking. Um, and, uh, and, and it was, it was great. I mean, that made the trip right there. I mean, the, the time we spent together was a lot of fun. The family being so um, just gracious with what they had was awesome. And it just, it made a, a great trip. And that was kind of, I think that was the first time we had ever all went out there and they'd ever went deer hunting. If I remember right, my daughter might've went or my, my son might've went once or something like that before, but not really like a family thing, kind of like almost like a deer camp feel that was the start of it. So, and I'm just going to sweat you a little bit. We're going to have to really work on your definition of successful, man, because you just said we weren't successful, but then you went in to talk <laughs> about, you went in to talk about how great it was, you know, for your boy to get the two squirrels. Right. So it brings me back to what I said earlier. Right. And I, and I'll harp on that because I think that, I think that's a, a problem to a point. Right. Is because we we value notching that tag so much. And, and you know, and I'm making an assumption right with with your use of it. But it's pretty important for me to drill that home where I for me, I wouldn't care if it was a punch tag or not. If you know, and there's nothing better than seeing a six or seven year old man after the shot when they when they get the tremors and that and they can barely talk. Oh, man, that's the best. Yeah. Well, that is so awesome. I remember when my boy was, yeah, seven years old, man, his first whitetail and uh, the shakes and the look on his face and his eyes are as big as saucers. Oh, man. Yo, no, you're right. I need to, um, 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I do need to watch the way I use that term. Cause I mean, that weekend, that was a success. Yeah, like, yeah. We had a great time together. Did we see a lot of whitetails? Nope. But like you were saying before, we were both saying it's, it's not all about punching that tag. Like it's about, you know, making memories and having, especially when you're with family, having a good time with family. Nothing like it. So nothing like it. So you are uh, on the board for 2% for outdoors there in uh, Oklahoma, man. Um, which I've yeah, been looking ahead. at, looking at a little bit more. Um, as I grow my podcast and my platform and putting, you know, putting my, my money where my mouth is, so to speak. Um, you know, I do BHA, RMEF. Um, but can you give us a little background on 2% for outdoors? I mean, I see it like on social media, things like that. Um, can you give us some more background on it and tell us what it's about? Yeah. So technically it's called 2% for conservation. Um, so, and I'm, <laughs> So, I'm done talking. Yeah, so it's two percent for conservation. Um, the position I have is a regional committee member, um, which we're spread out all over uh, the U.S. and uh, up into Canada. I don't. The number escapes me of the exact number, but this is their first year uh, for those members, and they let us be um, help the the national office at like a local, uh, more of a local level. Um, it's all volunteer work, but, um, so their goal really is to, is to help, um, or one of their goals is to help other help companies realize, like they may say they're giving to conservation, but then they, they may not even really know the amount that they're giving or like really put the numbers on them. So, and in that case, they can then, um, approve them for 2% sponsorship. So the 2% is 1% time and 1% money. And so, um, that can be from a business where there's a whole nother process for getting um, businesses approved or like individuals. Like that's how it started for, for us was me um, calling their office, calling Jared and saying, Hey, you know, like we want to do this. Like we're trying to do conservation stuff. How do we get involved with this? Um, so at, as far as like an independent side, it's going to be 1% of your time. So like basically that, and then 1%, you're going to, you're committing to give 1% of, you know, like annual income in some way to conservation efforts. It can be buying from companies that support conservation. That could be like you mentioned, BHA and, um, different organizations like that. It can be your dues to that raffle tickets to those things, different things like that. And it really, when you're involved in the space, it doesn't take that long to do. Um, and then like, I won't go into the business side cause I don't speak well enough on it, but where they do that, but they're not taking, so it's not an organization that you pay dues into. Like you can't, so they like to say that's like the one organization can't buy a membership for you. You get it by committing to do it, to doing your 2%. Um, there's not a, an annual dues, anything like that you can do. And like, so then like right now, one thing they have um, that they're pushing for is, nominees for they're doing a conservation media awards. So they're taking nominees to do awards for people that are doing different type of media involving um, conservation from fish to wildlife and just um, in general. And then they're going to do some kind of awards with that. 
Um, and they'll do their own, um, like convention this year. I think it's in Bozeman, um, for that. But for us, it's been, um, it's been pretty fun. Like being in the regional committee member role, um, they've rolled out a, uh, a group of training tools that we can go through to learn more, um, like modules basically to learn more about conservation, um, and to be educated, uh, on those things. Um, and it's, you know, I do everything with family. So it's been good for the kids too. Cause they see it. Like we went and, um, you know, like go wild had their, what they call it last year, like national conservation week. Um, so we went and did some kind of cleanup, um, or maybe it was a national conservation month. It escapes me, but we went and did, I think it was like six or seven different cleanups and those were always with family, um, in different areas. And it wasn't, we weren't driving like four hours out to somewhere, like most of it was within an hour to an hour and a half from home. You know, it's not hard to find trash in outdoor spaces um, and doing cleanups and teaching the kids that way. Um, and when you start to think about it, like it's kind of like put your money where your mouth is, you know, when you're going to talk about conservation. What are you doing? What are you actually doing? Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, Hopefully this doesn't come off like a soapbox, but like uh, we were watching uh, Aquaman movie this week with my kids. And at the start of the, the DVD, they talk about, you know, like the ocean and stuff. And I forget which organization they mentioned, but I turned over and looked at my daughter and I said, you know, that would come off with a lot more like power. If that producer director, whoever was talking said that, you know, they gave 1% of the proceeds from the film or 1% of his proceeds from the film to this ocean organization rather than just saying like, Hey, think about this. Like where did you put your money where your mouth was kind of a thing. But so I do the conservation quick, right after at the, towards the end of every episode. Um, I, I might've missed an episode or two since I started. I don't know how many episodes I'm into, um, but it's, it's pretty important to understand Right. A lot of people, I don't even know where I'm going here. A lot of people talk the talk, but are we, are we actually doing anything that's impactful? Right. I mean, even in the smallest way, right. You hear a guy and that's one of the things that I love is, is you'll hear somebody say, Oh, we went, you know, I went in and I picked up, you know, Oh, I've only picked up five pieces of trash. I really don't do anything else. Um, but just spawning that thought process, right? Where if, if a hundred guys did five pieces of trash, right? That number just grows and grows and grows. Or, you know, somebody hearing this, you know, decides, Hey, you know what? That's a good idea. I'm gonna take my kids out and, and do that or talk to them about it. So yeah, I love hearing that stuff, man. Just the different, the different views and insight you get from that. Um, those conversations is pretty important. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think, I mean, like what you said, like, oh, I've only picked up five pieces or this, like this year has been so eye opening for me in that regards. Um, you know, we got, took more of a stance for doing um, conservation work, giving to conservation efforts and then in cleanups um, being a big one. And this year I started taking um, every time I went out, especially during deer season um, hunting, I would always take a couple, three, um, just like grocery sacks, you know, like a Walmart sack with me. And on the way out, I would just pick up whatever I found on the way out. 
And I couldn't tell you how many messages or tags in post um, we've had this year from other people, from people seeing that and then doing it. Um, and then like Mylar balloons, like I made a goofy post about picking up Mylar balloons. And that's been one where I've gotten tagged by other people picking up Mylar balloons um, out there, uh, you know, on public land or wherever. But it's been, it's one of the bigger surprises for this year, just how that's went. And, and I mean, I'm not saying like, it's nothing's went like viral. It's not crazy, but just the people like noticing, you know, and for me, most of the time, it's just self accountability. Like, I, you know, if I'm gonna pick up some trash, like take a picture of it, you know, like do a little hashtag or something and, you know, like let's keep this place clean kind of a thing. And then seeing other people go, you know, like I can do that too. Or some of it's other people messaging me like, Hey, I do the same thing. Glad to see you doing it. You know, somebody that's been doing it before me and they're saying, Hey, I'm doing that too. And then you've got, there's a guy, Oh, his name's Ethan, but I can't think of where it's located, but he works with 2%. Um, he did an Instagram takeover for him today, but that guy is like the man at trash pickups. He's a, a, a fishing guide. He picks up like hundreds of pounds. I mean, it's sad that there's that much, but he does a, a ton, but you don't, I mean, it, every little bit helps and every little bit makes a difference. Right. You know, it goes into that 1%, right? Yep. <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome, man. I love hearing that. What, you know, what's funny is the Mylar balloon thing has been, I mean, that's been something that I've seen for years and years and years and years. And, uh, Chad Bracken, I just saw captain James Nash with a post. Um, his was pretty funny. Um, you know, he had a Mylar balloon and he started talking about it and he goes, Hey, I'm tired of picking these damn Mylar balloons up, you know, stop buying them for your kids. They just cry when they float away anyway. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there's an area up here that I hunt, um, local and I don't know what it is about the one hillside. It's, it's like a magnet for them. I don't know, you know, the way it comes down, you know, the, that side of the mountain or whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, yeah, you can guarantee four or five a trip um in oh, this, wow in this one area i mean it's just crazy to see them in there yeah i don't know what it is That's with nice. the damn balloons yeah well yeah it's crazy and people my, i mean you get funny looks too i mean i was in uh we took a trip last year to colorado and i was fishing at a, a lake up in the mountains with a buddy and you know we were wrapping up and i started picking up fishing line and different stuff and he's He's like, what are you doing? I was like, man, I always pick up trash before I leave. And then we ended up, we came out ahead. Like we found several like crankbaits and different things like that. Just grabbing the fishing line to pick up. All the yeah. Like finding tackle and different things. Um, another benefit is you instantly have a good rapport with um, anybody from fishing game, like a game warden. When you come walking back in, when they're checking licenses and you have a couple bags of trash, like you get, that you get a little different look there. It may be a funny look in the beginning. That's how mine was like, what do you, what do you have? I have trash. Why do you, I pick up trash every time. I was like, I'm going to pick up this parking lot before I leave. So, but that starts a yeah, good rapport. That, yeah. That's, that's huge, man. That's huge. People just, I, I don't know if it's like, I hate to think that it's, that it's hunters, that it's other outdoors. I, we know it is right. I mean, but it's hard to fathom that that last guy or the guy before them didn't value that space 
as much as you do, right? When you're walking in and out of there, I, I just, yeah, I scratch my head with that all the time. Yep. There's a, um, oh, I'll read you. I'm going to read something, but let me find it real quick. It's from, our, it's in our concert, one of our conservation models with 2% for conservation. And it's kind of talking about, um, conservation and it says, Think about a place near you, somewhere special. Maybe it's a beach where people used to catch their limit. It could be a wetland your family hunted for ginger, generations. It might even be the mountain that you want to go climb and experience. Now ask yourself three questions. One, can you still go there and do that thing you want to do? Two, is the ecosystem intact? And three, for both those questions, why or why not? This is the fundamental thought process around all conservation work. And I, I had that saved in my phone because to me that, that like lines up with that. You're like, I love going to this place. Like I want to keep it that way. I want to stay that way. I want to stay that way for my kids. And I want to teach those values. So that way it, it can stay that way. I mean, to me, I think about it more in like a generational sense than just myself. Like I appreciate it, but I want it to be there for my kids to appreciate. Right. I think a lot of us, that's, that's the driver right outside of our personal use we want them to have those experiences and see those places and that uh yeah so as you were talking it, it made me think right um how guilty are we if we walk in we see that trash and we don't pick it up on our way out or as we see it right i almost feel like we're as guilty as the guy that dropped it there to a point. Right. Yeah. Not to say that you could pack out, you know, 40 or 50 pounds of, you know, crap. If somebody's dumping something out of a, you know, little dump truck or shoveling out of the back of a pickup truck. But if we're walking on a trail, you know, or we're finding these things and we're not, you know, picking that can or that Mylar balloon up or, you know, that monster energy drink can, uh, (laughs) which is a freaking popular one out there. Oh um, yeah, those are, <laughs> um, I almost feel like, well, at, at least for me, right. I don't want anybody to get pissed off with me and say, no, it's, I'm not, you know, as guilty. I feel guilty if I don't pick it up. If I, if I don't stop, grab that and throw it in the, in the pack. What's your, what's your take on that one? No, I'm with you. Like as far as feeling guilty, like I will, um, you know, and I've had those moments where you're walking with, maybe some other guys, maybe we're with like a, a group of people and um, you know, they're all keeping a, sp- a pace and you're stopping and picking something up and it, and I mean, I would like to say that's, I've never had that moment where I'm like, should I do it? Should I not? But I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't ever had that moment where I'm like, well, it's like 20 feet over there. I can see it. It's probably plastic. We're all walking this way. They're keeping at this pace. Do I? And then it's just, you know, like I just go do it. Um, now there has been times where maybe I don't have any more room for anything and I'm still a half mile, mile or whatever from the truck. Like at that point, that's when I'm starting to just only pick up plastic. I'm like, if it's metal, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to pick up the plastic. But yeah, no, it's once you start doing it, like it's hard to not pick it up and it's really, really hard not to notice it. Like it doesn't become like wallpaper at that point, like it sticks out and then you can, I mean, 
you can feel good and bad. I mean, I went to a, a spot after turkey hunting that was a piece of public land. I, my last turkey hunt of this year was on private. Um, and so I was driving back and there happened to be a piece of public between that I'd never driven to because it was about two hours out of my way. I'm like, well, I'm going to drive up to that. And I remember talking to my wife on the way home. I was like, there were only like three little bitty pieces of trash in the parking lot. Like that was great. And I didn't see anything when I was walking in, but then we went to other places where it's like the parking lot looks like somebody's makeshift dump where you got a, a couch and pallets and who knows what. That's an asshole move. <laughs> when you start seeing stuff, there's a spot that I hunt and, uh, there's only one little, one little tiny spot to pull over and park. Um, the last time I was there is probably three years ago and I pulled to the spot and it immediately drops off about 40 or 50 feet down into this little Creek bed. And, uh, I walked to the edge to see if there was water in the Creek bed and, uh, looked down, man, and <clears throat> somebody had, you know, maybe backed up a small dump truck or backed up their pickup and just shoved air. I mean, you want to talk a chair tires, um, like old paneling, like somebody had done like some half baked remodel and, and just, you know, they had to drive 45 minutes into the mountain. So I have to imagine that where it is probably cost them more in gas than taking it to a dump somewhere and paying, you know, 30 or 40 bucks for a, for some construction waste. Um, yeah. Just an oddball thought process. And it was probably some a-hole that didn't want to spend the money or felt like he didn't have the money. But yeah, that, uh, I don't know. That one's hard, right? Oh. Because it's not someone... I'm hoping that it's not someone that recreates in the outdoors doing something like that, but he had to have known of this spot. So how did he know that spot was there to do it? Right. I mean, it's nestled yeah. way back in. So. Yeah, that's sad. It's frustrating. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. All right. We'll get off of that one, man. We can go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I will say? So, and, I, and this is sort of a plug, but it's sort of not because I really do value what, what Andrew is doing. So I just partnered up with Sasquatch Fuel um, and they do craft adventure fuel or um, foods, excuse me. And the thing with Sasquatch is Andrew went through this process of trying to figure out how to get away from the Mylar packaging that most of these, these backpack type foods come in. And they found yep. a polymer-based bag um, and it's not meant to leave out there, right? This was just this was just an effort in case someone puts it in a fire or someone does decide to throw it down, that this will degrade and not have a long-term impact um, on that ecosystem, you know, like some of the Mylar um, packaging and whatnot out there. So take a look at uh, a look at Sasquatch Fuel, man. He's doing he's doing great things. I mean, that's just one, one aspect of the company, right? They're giving back to conservation. Um, they have a program where they, uh, with gear forward, um, where they're getting youth outdoors. So it's pretty awesome. So yeah, it's a plug, cool. it's a plug, but not a plug, man. Um, yeah, but check them out. They're doing, yeah, it's phenomenal. That's neat. That's some really like, that's just taking the, like the thinking to the next level. Like if you're making stuff for the outdoors, but then making it kind of at that, that just in case, you know, if it does get left, I will, can, I will say, listen to his episode. It'll blow your mind. Um, just, yeah. The, 
the biggest part, not the biggest part, but one of the things that that slapped me in my face and made me feel like a lesser of a man was the fact that he started down this venture when he was 19 years old. Um, so this is something that was important to him at a way younger age than most of us grab hold of it, even if we spend a ton of time outdoors. So, but yeah, check out his episode, man. I mean, it's it, phenomenal, dude. Phenomenal. Well, damn. <laughs> so back to the, the kids and the outdoors, man, and value in that experience, uh, with family out there. Um, a lot of your post, I don't, I don't really think there's many posts where they're not a part of that at this point. Why don't you give us some background on why that was important to get them out there and, and share all that time with them in the outdoors? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like family is important to me. Um, but I mean, that's my parents did that with me. Like it wasn't hunting, but it was, you know, a lot of families experiences together. And that's what we wanted to do with them. I mean, they've taken a, a liking to it. I mean, my daughter admittedly would probably prefer to go fishing over hunting, but then my son would prefer to go hunting over fishing. Uh, and my youngest, he's kind of in between on both of them. But um, it was just from the beginning, I wanted to be able to share a story and share just what we're doing. Um, I guess you could say our adventures um, as a family with people. I, you know, I've seen coming into this late and watching a lot of the shows, following a lot of people on social media, you see a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, an individual going and doing stuff or an individual, individual, maybe he like goes to hunt camp or the lady and they go out with a group of people, but I didn't see a lot of like family kind of things. Um, and so that initially in the beginning was just a big thing I wanted to be able to highlight and do. I mean, we were, we wanted to do that stuff together already. And I was like, I want to, I want to try to highlight that, um, as much as possible and just be real with it. I mean, I don't want them. I don't want the post ever to come off fake or fancy or any of that, but I mean, we're, we're going out and sharing those things, doing those things together. And I want to show everybody else that. So hopefully, you know, if I can, I don't know, maybe there's, let's say there's one dad out there that hasn't taken his kids with him. Cause he's, you know, chasing, chasing a giant whitetail or a, a big bull elk that maybe he'll see a picture and go, man, you know, I should probably take my son out there with me sometime. Or maybe it's a, a dad taking a, a kid that doesn't have a family member to take him with him um, out there. But it's, it's been fun along the way. Like, I mean, my kids like it. We like it. They're all getting exposed. My wife had her first hunting season this year. She, um, we went on a couple late season archery hunts, um, and had fun. So that was fun to be able to do that together with her for the first time this year. And so she's going to get more involved, um, with, with that stuff. And then the kids along the way, they, they enjoy it. I mean, I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but we're just being real. I mean, this, right, no, this, we like to do stuff outside. We like to do it together. So we're just trying to share it and hopefully motivate other people to do the same thing. And you guys do a full blown guys camp too, right? Where it's just the boys. Yeah, we've done some, some all boys stuff. Um, and most of it hasn't been like, we don't really have a, a deer camp kind of set up, but we've tried to do, um, some all boys stuff like this year, 
uh, my dad, uh, he hunted when I was really little, probably like five or six. He was kind of into duck hunting for a while, but then the buddies, he had, they were all like work buddies and like guys took different jobs, different things. So that kind of fizzled out and he quit, uh, hunting. So I had never hunted with him at all until this year. And, um, he had expressed some interest to, uh, go hunting. Um, was talking about getting a 22, wanted to try squirrel hunting. And we have some access to a, a pecan farm for squirrel hunting, um, up here in Oklahoma. And so we went and so I took my two boys and my dad. And so it was, it was a lot of first, it was my dad's first time to go squirrel hunting. It was his first time to hunt with me. His first time to hunt with my boys. It's my first time to hunt with him. My boys first time to hunt with him. So, um, but it was a good time. It was a little early probably in the season. We didn't, we didn't see a lot. It was still pretty green. They were hard to spot in the trees, but we got out there and we had fun and we got those memories. I'd rather have those memories of us going out and doing that than not doing it, you know, or not having it at all, especially for, I mean, I don't want to get too cliche or too sentimental. Right. But even as a 40 year old man to be able to go out and share that time with your father is a big deal, man. I mean that, you know, that is, uh, I don't want to say it makes you feel like a kid, but you get that it's full circle at that point, right? You got three generations out there sharing that time together. I mean, yeah, come on. That doesn't, that doesn't get any better, man. You're a hundred percent correct. Like, no, that's a, that's a, it's a big deal. Um, it meant a lot to me. I know it meant a lot to him and my boys liked it a lot too. It's just, it is. I mean, and to be able to, I mean, you know, typically it's a lot of times it's the dad that gets to take the son along, um, you know, on the journey, on an adventure. And in this, this case, we got to reverse the roles for a little bit. I got to take him along, got to take the boys along and then, you know, help share them, share that with them. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a good day. It was a fun day. Yeah. One of the cool. things have, that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, one of the things oh, that I was just going to say, we're going to have, we'll have more of this. Um, <laughs> sorry about that again. One of the things that I've noticed, like, you know, you're talking about it and you said they, the boys enjoyed that day, but I'll talk to the guys that, you know, grew up hunting. Um, and one thing that is common with all of them is when they talk about their favorite hunts or their favorite times, is they all go back to all, you know, when I was in the woods with my dad or, you know, my dad and my grandpa. So yeah, that's going to be a memory that they're going to carry forever, men and values. It'll, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure when they're, you know, when they're starting their families, man, that'll be something that they immediately jump on, man. Looking for oh, those yeah. memories too. If you ask me, I mean, those are going to be, the ones with my kids, especially like some of the, I mean, those are some of my favorite ones. I mean, like I'll go out by myself too, you know, like I'll solo hunt, like a lot of guys. Um, and those are fun and I enjoy those times and it's, it's fun to be out there sometimes all by yourself and you just have time for you, but it's hard to beat those times, especially with like your kids. My, my daughter's first, um, 
uh, whitetail hunt that she, um, she got a doe on was on a, um, an army base here in Oklahoma where she drew in on a, a youth controlled hunt. So it's actually inside like the fences of the army base. I mean, they're not like high fence, but it's inside there. So you can't go in and scout or anything before that you, you get there, you have to do an orientation and go over unexploded ordinances <laughs> and, uh, and everything. And then you've got like two and a half days to get it done. And, um, it was the the evening of the second day and we had hunted in various places and hadn't really seen, um, a lot. We saw a lot of deer coming in, like when we were driving into the property at different times, but never really where we were at. And, um, we had drove past one spot. It was like the backside of a, uh, it, like a grenade range. Like there were like, you could find pieces of hand grenades and stuff like from training and it had been burnt. So it was all bright green and we were set up somewhere else and several acres away and we were sitting there and, um, we were kind of going back and forth. Like we haven't seen anything. And one thing I like to do with my kids is at, is like, give them some ownership if we're hunting together. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? You know, if it's a, if it's a really silly idea, like I'm going to coach them through that. But if it's a, a pretty good idea. And at, and at that point, you know, it's kind of like 50, 50, either spot, the spot dad said, the spot ki- the kid said, maybe it's, you know, 50, 50, we'll go where they said, I want it to be like their hunt, not just always dad told us to do this and told us to do this. So we're sitting there and she's like, man, I think we should be over there where that burn was. She's like, I think that's where we should go. And so it's, it's getting close to, you know, about three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. I mean, we had a, a couple hours to hunt. Um, so it'd been later than three, but we, we had several hours. I'm like, well, if we're going to go, we got to go. And she's like, I think that's what I want to do. And I was like, all right, it's your hunt. So we go over there, don't have a great spot to set up. It's just kind of a big sloping hillside on the back side of this range, but there's just like a little, I mean, I'm going to say a bench. It was not much of one, but just like this little bench. And uh, I'm like, let's just sit there. At least we won't be skylined and, and we'll be fine. And um, about an hour or so left of light, we spot, I think it was like six does, about 300 yards out. She's got, we had a muzzle loader. That's what it was, a muzzle loader hunt. We knew it was, it was going to be on at 100, but it wasn't going to hurt for him to get any closer. So they start to come and they start to come and then they hang up under a tree full of acorns and then eventually they get closer and we're sitting there and I'm, I'm ranging. She's behind the rifle and she's never pulled the trigger on an animal before. And we're sitting there and I'm ranging. And I'm like, they're at 80, they're at six. I'm like, you can shoot, shoot, shoot. And she's, and then she just goes, I can't. And I'm like, why not? And I'm, I'm just trying not to move at this point. They're inside of 60 yards. You know, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just holding the range finder so I can tell her where they're at. And she was like, I can't pull the trigger. So I'm range finder in one hand. And I just slide my arm over to put my finger on top of her trigger and just help her pull it back. And, uh, and then, and she hit it and it ran probably like 30, 40 yards and we were able to get it. But, um, that hunt was, it was awesome. And she still talks about it and she still remembers it. And I, I think we'll both probably remember that hunt forever. It was, it was a pretty special day. Um, so this is a, collective episode um and you have some well you were just brought on the kong valley collective right as a as a legend or as an ambassador here recently so why don't you give us some background on that and why uh you decided to jump on with kong valley 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just here recently. I don't know the exact time, but I'd say it's less than a month. Um, but yeah, we had seen what they were doing. Um, we got involved when they did their, their month of giveaways, um, contributed to a bonus giveaway with that. Um, so we had already knew what they're about their message. Um, knew most of the guys, uh, through Instagram, but also through, uh, the go wild app. So already had a pretty high, um, just kind of expectation or thought of the, the people that are behind it and the guys. So then when they reached out, um, is pretty much a, a no brainer at that point to not, uh, partner up with them, uh, for that very like-minded people. Um, I just really didn't see just as it was a, a win-win pretty much. So should be exciting and more, more stuff to come, but we're excited to, to partner up with them and, and be able to help contribute. Spread that message. Yep. So, um, anything you wanted to jump into or talk about that we missed or. Um, well, I would be curious. Um, we've, I've done a, quite a bit of talking about my stories, but, um, one thing that we've looked at adding, um, this year to try to, um, just be able to share in another ways is to do our own podcast. So I'm kind of curious, um, how you got started and kind of your, your two cents of podcasting. Where do you want me to start? Um, so I'm a podcast junkie, right? I listen to podcast like, I mean, ridiculous, right? I, I can do, I do a lot of driving. Uh, so I'm going to say probably at one point I was probably close to 24 hours of podcast a week, um, all over the board with hunting podcast. Um, but there, and, and I still listen, right. But there was something that was just missing for me. Um, the, the stories of, of hunts, right. Or the people behind the hunts or, um, things of that nature. It was just like, man, there's, there's something there, but it's, you just not hearing it. So I had the crazy idea. It was November 25th of 2018. Um, of doing a podcast <laughs> and December 1st, I said, I'm doing this, um, made it real. You know, it's not real unless it's on Instagram. Um, Oh yeah. <laughs> so I said, Hey, you know, Western contours podcast. Um, I mean, I had literally had five days when I, when I hatched this thing and, uh, yeah, I think I started recording maybe, maybe a week or two after that. Um, went and bought a bunch of gear, um, had no idea what I was doing, uh, walked into a guitar center and said, this is what I'm doing. Help me out. And, uh, made maybe four trips to guitar center. You know, they'd say, Oh, this, 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 um, I bought a used, uh, Mac cause I didn't want to have everything on my, uh, on my MacBook. So I just went and bought a, a decent used Mac as like a year old. Some guy was selling, uh, focus right interface. Um, and then what I did, and I don't know that everybody does it, but I got a mixing board just because the sound quality was important to me. Um, <clears throat> and I just started, man, I started reaching out to people. The biggest question for me was, uh, you know, when you listen to a lot of podcasts, I mean, these guys, you know, you got guys that are established and, you know, they've been doing it for a while and I'm going, who the heck's going to want to talk to? A nobody, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how the hell am I going to do this? 
So I just started trolling Instagram, right? And there was people that I follow and people that I were, you know, that that you that you follow that you're interested in, right? You're looking for their post for one reason or another, whether it's a great picture or a great message, um, but you just enjoy the post. So I just started reaching out to those people um, saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested? This is what, you know, at the time, this is what I think the podcast is. Um, what do you think? And then I have a couple buddies here um, in California, um, Andy and Anthony, um, and they have Legion OST podcast. So I kind of leaned on them a little bit and asked some questions, you know, uh, and I just went for it, man. I just went for it. Um, it's a little bit unnerving. I don't plan, um, you know, like, you know, I, I'll send out, I have kind of a one size fits all email. I just, you know, and I have some show notes, just bullets that I put in there. Um, but for me, it's, I don't want, I don't want a script, right? I just want yeah. to be on the same page when we start. Um, but I would say, just go for it. If you're going to do it, man, just go for it. It'll, it'll work itself out as you go along, as you progress. Um, I don't know that mine is or isn't at this point. I, I'm just enjoying the heck out of it, right? I get to hear, I'm talking to people that I would have never, I would have never heard your story or had your input or had your insight to conservation. Um, to me, that, that part of it is just, it's amazing. So I'm, it's kind of my podcast for me is self-serving. I get to hear all these stories that I was looking for listening to these other podcasts. Um, and I'm just enjoying it, man. It's just, you know, let the, let the chips fall where they may. Um, it's just fun, man. Just go for it. It doesn't take much. I mean, you can literally start it with a, a $40 microphone and a laptop or a cell phone. And most of the apps, like the server apps, you can go right into it. Mine, like I said, the sound quality for me was pretty important. So, um, you know, you want to talk about like gear or, or programs. I use Adobe Audition um, to record on. Um, but it allows me, like we get a lot of digital noise, things like that. It allows me to get rid of that stuff. Um, if there's like a lot of popping and cracking, I don't do a ton of, of post-recording edit. Um, I may EQ it just to clean it up a little bit, but yeah, just go for it, man. They're, they're super fun. It's time consuming. I never assumed or never realized that it was going to take as much time as it does. Um, so it's finding the balance. <clears throat> yeah. But I'm, I'm like, I'm record crazy. So I have my tap Tuesday episodes. Then I have the KVC episodes on Wednesday. Um, the El Colin Academy episodes on Friday. And then my regular episodes, which release every Saturday. So I'm pretty busy with it. Um, I think most guys are doing an episode to two a week. And at some point, I would point, say that's an average. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say at some point it'll either burn me out or my wife is going to throw more than dirty looks my way <laughs> <laughs> with all the time that I spend doing it. But yeah, it's just been a blast, man. It's been a blast. Yeah. I, that's motivating. I, I think I would like it. I I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm going to like it a lot. You were much faster to act. I've been sitting on the idea for months and you took like five days or whatever. <laughs> well, part of it, part of it too, was wanting to be, Right. Hunting season is just so fast. Right. I mean, if you're lucky to extend your season for two months, um, for most people, it's it's awesome. Right. So this, again, it's self-serving. I get to talk about hunting 
as much as I want now. Right. And, and, and it's addicting, man. Like I said, just hearing the different, the different insights and, and, you know, people's hunts and stuff. It's just, yeah, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. But yeah, I would say just, just go after it. It doesn't take much planning. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, just go after it, man. It, it you know, oh, and it, it has such a low barrier of entry. I swear a two-year-old could do it. So I don't know if that answers. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or or motivates you at all. I actually hadn't even thought about just going down to a guitar center. Like I think I've watched multiple videos on guys setups and different things. And I don't know. I think it's the, it's just overthinking. That's exactly what it is. See, so you can, Got to act. You could actually do it with your laptop and then a USB mic right into if you're running like a Mac and run it right into GarageBand. Um, I got the interface because you got a little more control. Um, but yeah, you don't even need that much. I mean, you can go, you know, headphones, a mic and a laptop and you're done. Figure out who you want, you know, as your server and then go right into GarageBand. And most of the servers, you can go right into the server and record there. I never tried it. I'm not sure of like the editing capabilities or what you could do with that. But yeah, I mean, the, the barrier of entry, um, both in skill and money can be very low. Skill, right. definitely. I'm living proof of the skill part. <laughs> <laughs> hey, being asking good questions and being a good concert or conversationist is that's a skill too. Yeah. I, and I'm, it's funny, man, because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much to myself, right? I'm not, and that's, what's a shocker to me. Like we'll go to dinner and, and I'll always tell my wife, like, how do people have so much to talk about? Um, it just trips me out. Like I'm looking around like, man, they ain't shut up yet, but it's funny. You get me talking about hunting or listening to somebody's story. I could talk. I think I could listen better than I could talk, but yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a blast, man. I, I gotta say it's, it's so much fun. So much fun. That's good. Listening is a skill too. Do you, uh, do you ever doing that many episodes? Do you, you ever struggle with like burnout? Like as far as just not wanting to be creative, but there's nothing, there's nothing I have to be creative about. I just got to get you on. (laughs) It's your episode. That's my cop out. (laughs) Um, I, you know, not, not yet. Right. And, and this is what, yeah. I don't even know where we're in now. I think we're in May, end of May. Um, yeah. And I haven't really hit it yet. There's a couple, there's a couple weeks where I overloaded myself with recordings. Um, but the hardest part I found is, is the timing, right? Is, is you're asking someone to take two hours out of an already busy schedule to sit down with you. Um, so I don't like to say that, Hey, I'm not available. I think I've only done that twice. And I feel like crap when I do it um, because someone's saying, yeah, I'll sit down with you and talk. Um, you know, you're not really getting anything from it. Uh, if you want to call it, you know, it's not exposure, right? I mean, I'm just a small podcast, but um, that's the hardest part for me is, is saying, hey, I can't do it on this day. Um, but no, I haven't had any burnout just yet. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to, as I get closer to season, how that's going to work out for me. Um, because I'm not going to sacrifice my time hunting for my podcast. <laughs> Just not doing it. 
So I got to figure yeah. out that balance. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about that, but I think I'm going to just have to go crazy and record a bunch of episodes, put them in queue and then have enough to get me through my hunting season. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, are, how are you going to keep that same schedule once you go to hunting season? But yeah, we're not. Definitely not. So, <laughs> but like right now, difficult. yeah, right now I have, you know, all but the KVC episodes. I'm always, I try to keep myself at least three weeks out ahead. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I always have a safety net there, right? Because I, one of the things that I heard, you know, listening um, like I listened to Garrett and Cody did a podcast together on, on Garrett Weaver's on point. And one of the things that they both talked about was consistency. Um, and then I kind of took that to heart, right? Those guys, as far as I'm concerned, they have that, they have that game figured out. Um, so that was pretty important to me to learn those lessons from them um, and say, okay, that they're saying consistency. If you look at those guys and the numbers that they do and the following that they've created and, you know, that listenership, it was pretty important to take their lessons and say, okay, I'm going to use that for this and keep that consistency. And then as I have, I started with one episode a week. And then as I've gone along, I, I've kind of found things that are important to me. Um, it's like my tap Tuesday episodes, right? I went to the Utah show and uh, to see all the small businesses, right? The entrepreneurs, that are trying to just the blue collar folks that are trying to get in the industry and, and do something that they're passionate about. That's kind of what spawned, you know, those tap Tuesday episodes. Um, it was to highlight those small business efforts from, from those people, you know, chasing a dream. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the only thing that I have to watch myself on is I'm a sucker for that type of stuff, right? That, that underdog fight. Um, yeah. And if I don't watch myself, I'll be supporting everybody because, you know, they're that they're that underdog. Right. Um, they're chasing that dream. I, I just love that story. So it's yeah, it's just checking myself on, you know, I, I would have five episodes. You know, I might do seven a week if I could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's yeah, good stuff. I, I think. I think you would enjoy it. And the one I don't know, it's weird there's enough, there's enough people, there's just room for everybody. Right. I, and I don't know, like, I don't, you don't hear one podcast supporting another podcast or, you know, stuff like that. I, at least I haven't really seen that. So I'm not sure if there's a thing, but for me, there's just so many, there's so many different avenues you could take with it. Right. I mean, you got guys that focus on, you know, on archery solely or long distance shooting solely. Um, you know, tips and things like that. There's just so many avenues you could take. It's like, man, one more podcast is just something else to listen to um, and get different, you know, views and opinions and insight. It's yeah. I, I think they're great, man. I'd rather listen to podcast than listen to, to music nowadays. Well, I'm exactly the same. Like I listen to them all the time. So there's a joke with, close friends where they like to say like, Oh, you heard it on a podcast or everything Kevin says starts with, I heard this on a podcast. I've got one buddy that likes to be real funny and say, did you watch it on a podcast? Yeah. And you know, there's, but, there's more and more, I think that are going to go that way. Right. As, as people try and figure out how to grow even more. 
um, I think you'll see more of that. So yeah, tell him yeah. Like Rogan, yeah. I, I think he records yep. every one of his, right? I, I've never watched one, but I listen to him religiously. Um, but yeah, I think you'll see more and more guys going down that road. Yeah, Gritty does that quite a bit too. He may do them all. I'm not sure, but I know he does some. Yeah, see, I, I never even I listen to his, and I've never I've never seen one. But I'm not huge YouTube guy. Like you were saying, you know, you started YouTube and the gear and the setups. I tried it. And I was like, nah, man, there's just too many differences for me to learn anything from this. It's hard for, I'm a sucker for any kind of what's in my pack gear review podcast. That's also on video. Like I've never hunted out West, like backcountry hunted, but I have a shopping list of stuff that I've seen guys say, this is better than this. Yeah. That's a rough one, man. I mean, you'd go down that, down that road with this stuff too. That's why I said I watched probably half a dozen and I go, man, this is way too much for me. I'm just going, I'm asking these guys what they think. This is what I want to sound like. This is, you know, I don't, for, like I said, for me, it was audio quality. Uh, I can't stand listening to a podcast and it's like room echo or just cracking and popping. And it's just like, oh man, no way. So I just went and I said, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm trying to do. Uh, I have zero clue. Help me out. And they were great about, you know, steering me to the right direct in the right direction. It's good. So, yeah, man, now you're uh, now you're committed. Yeah, it's out there for everyone now. We're <laughs> just close friends. We'll be we'll be listening for the Osborne Outdoor podcast, man. Yeah. Join accountability. So. Every episode, I said it earlier, man, uh, conservation quick, uh, one to two minute spiel on conservation, just your take. It's not right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just your take on it. So why don't you uh, hit us with that? My take on conservation. My um, take, I would say, um, for one big one, let's preserve it. I mean, I read the other day, I think it's like 6,000 acres a day or something like that get developed in the United States. So we're not making any more land. Let's take care of the land we have, especially our public lands, pass it on to the next generation, keep it clean, um, pick up after ourselves and leave it better um, than we did. And don't forget the wildlife that lives there. You know, often they, they don't have the loudest voice. So it can be our job to be the loud voice for them to help protect and preserve them and the wide open spaces they live in that way we can also um, enjoy them and, and get a piece of that. But I'd say that's my conservation quick. Awesome, man. That was a, that was a really good one. Uh, anything in closing you want to touch on anything we missed? No, I mean, other than thank you, I thank you for the opportunity. Um, thank KVC as well for the opportunity and those guys, Jonathan and Jimmy and all them. Um, helping make this happen and just appreciate uh, your two hours of your time and being able to talk with like-minded folks. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time as well, Kevin. Um, Good luck to you and the family out there this season, man. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. All right. Will do, man. Thank you. Thank you. You can catch up with Kevin on Instagram at Osborne Outdoors. To learn more about Kong Valley Collective, head over to westerncontours.com. Look for the Kong link on the partners page. Thank you for listening. 
Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.